The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he would send the crowds away. After sending the crowds away, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone while the boat, by now far out on the lake, was battling with a heavy sea, for there was a headwind. In the fourth watch of the night, he went towards them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But at once, Jesus called out to them, saying, Courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. It was Peter who answered, Lord. He said, If it is you, tell me to come to you across the water. Come, said Jesus. Then Peter got out of the boat and started walking towards Jesus across the water. But as soon as he felt the force of the wind, he took fright and began to sink. Lord, save me, he cried. Jesus put out his hand at once and held him. Man of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And as they got into the boat, the wind dropped and the men in the boat bowed down before him and said, truly, you are the son of God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's fitting that at the bookends of Vocations Awareness Week, we have these very interesting readings, sort of pivotal vocational readings. It's kind of an accident, but it's a happy accident. Last Sunday was the Transfiguration, where obviously Jesus' closest companions ascend Mount Tabor, and they see the divine life of Jesus breaking forth amid the, the human presence of him. Jesus is revealing part of his deepest identity. It's a privileged revelation. He didn't call the whole crowd up there. He didn't even call the 12 up there. Just a small group, just the three, and they saw this. Uh, we heard about that mountain last Sunday, but today we hear about two other mountains, Horeb, where uh, Elijah famously retreated in his fear, and where he encountered God in a most mysterious way. And then, of course, the unnamed mountain where Jesus was while the disciples were below in their boat. <laughs> As usual, all of these mountains are indicators of just how God breaks into our world and how it sort of shatters our expectations. I wanted to say um, two things, two sort of concepts that are worth getting in our minds. They're theological concepts, but, but they're worth having sort of in our minds to analyze what we do encounter and what we do expect from God. One is um, two divergent directions of spirituality. Um, and they sort of go together, even though they're the exact opposite of each other. <clears throat> One kind of spirituality we would call cataphatic spirituality. It's a spirituality that tries to press into images of God. Symbolic images, to be sure but it tries to make them speak as much as they can. So think of the many images that we have of God. We might say, God is my rock, or God is my shepherd, 
Or God is like a mother hen gathering us under his wings. Or God is like a gentle breeze, etc., etc. These are concrete images, for the most part, that we can imagine. And they do say something profound about God, don't they? Because you think, yeah, a rock, that's strong, that's stable, that's um, safe. Yeah, a shepherd, he walks with me, he uh, gathers me in, he puts me on his shoulders when I'm fatigued, etc., etc. The images help us a little bit, don't they? But cataphatic imagery, imagery expires. It helps for a certain point, and then after a certain point, it starts to not help. Because if we over-literalize it, we think, well, God isn't really a rock. You know, a rock, a rock belongs in the ground. God isn't really a shepherd, because obviously that's a, it's a symbol, you know. And so it speaks, and then it starts to not speak, and, and we, have to move, we have to move beyond it. That's when we come to what's called apophatic spirituality or apathetic theology it's something that precisely removes images removes words even it's the contemplative side of our prayer where we would rather stare into the abyss of silence because God is somehow more present there than in the image that might have bespeaken him does that make sense so it's a tug-of-war really between letting the images help us and then when they, when they sort of run their course, we move beyond them because God is behind them, calling us even deeper than that. Um, alongside that is this keen awareness that the church has in what we call sacramentality. Sacramentality is a beautiful thing. It means that everything is at disposal, everything is at God's disposal to speak to us. Literally everything, from the bird song early in the morning to the blade of grass sitting on the path, to the smile that we saw on our neighbor's face when they greeted us, to any other number of things. Somehow that's a kind of stained glass window that God is happy to shine through at the right time and in, in, if we're open to it. That's sacramentality. Um, it's a keen awareness that the church has that gets us away from this idea that everything is God substantially because I think everyone who has a spiritual impulse senses the intrinsic goodness of the world around them they're like yeah this world is beautiful people are beautiful and good gen like intrinsically um, the the things that I occupy myself with have intrinsic good in them etc etc but then they make this mistaken leap and they say it's all God it's all whatever whatever God is it's all it's all that same stuff and we've spoken before about how everything that God makes is a, is, a, is a different substance to God. It is substantially, qualitatively different. God uses it. God created it. It bespeaks God. It, 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 um, it mediates God. But it is not God. It is not actually the, the, the substantial presence of God. Now, how does the church try and welcome us into this economy of God speaking through sacramental things? I think the image of Elijah on the mountain is part of it. Um, the point of the sacrament, or the point of, the, of sacramental things, is that they communicate only so much, and then we have to move beyond them. Elijah retreated into the safety of the hill. 
because he needed to feel the presence of his God. And who knows what he was expecting. Um, he saw a lot of things that maybe he was expecting. These kind of dramatic displays of, of something divine breaking forth, like firecracker type moments. But we hear again and again, God was not in that, God was not in that, God was not in that. Where was God? In the most subtle, in the most non-extravagant. One translation says, there was a thin silence. Think about that. Like, silence is bad enough, but there was a thin, a thin silence. Sounds like literally less than nothing. And yet somehow, Elijah had the keen attentiveness to sense God's presence. He said, yeah, it's not in all that distraction that happened before. It's now. It's now. Um, God is present to me and I, and I can be present to God now. Um, young friends who are receiving your first communion, I've heard, not necessarily you, but I've heard young people ask, what does the bread taste like? You know, and, and maybe following the same logic, you might ask, will it fill me up? You know, um, and, and you might ask a whole lot of questions about the experience of eating the bread. This is a bit of a mistake because as we've been discovering in today's readings, that's not really the point, is it? What it tastes like, what it feels like, what it, uh, what, what, all of its material manifestations, no. The, the fact that God desires to be mediated through this humble symbol means don't get stuck on the experience of the bread. Rather, come into contact with the invisible, loving God who desires to be present to you precisely through that means. God is being mediated to you in really the most powerful way that we can experience in this world. And you think the most powerful way? Where's the firecrackers? Where's the lightning? Where's the fire breaking across the sky? Where's the big voice in my heart? God isn't in all that stuff. Like you may have ecstatic, you may have ecstatic uh, experiences of receiving communion, but actually that's not the point. The point is God is closer to us than we could ever imagine, and he's inviting us into that closeness, which means he's in the silence. He's in the, the kind of lack of experience. He's in, he, he's in our presence in a way that our senses can't detect because it's not about our sensory experience anymore. It's about a soul-to-soul -soul experience with God, a heart-to-heart -heart encounter and embrace with God. That's something that all of us so, so desire and need, and God desires for us to have it right now.